Hey everybody out there, welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. That's right, DraftKings is back on board. We're happy to welcome them back to the Hockey Mountain High podcast, but much like us welcoming DraftKings back to the podcast, it's time. It's time to get excited. I'm so pumped. Ball Arena is welcoming so fans excited. back by the time you're listening to it, it's going to be tonight against the Arizona Coyotes. Of course, it's only frontline workers only, but 4,050 fans allowed back in the building. How how exciting. I'm so excited. And Friday, the real fans will be there. This is a one-gamer where it's going to be just the frontline workers, and deservedly so. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know this already, I am going to be an emotional wreck, and I am going to ugly cry in that press box tomorrow. It has been 300 and i did the math it's been tomorrow wednesday will be 385 days since that game against the rangers which is the last time we had fans at the arena which is the last time i was allowed in that press box i am so excited uh the world is slowly getting back to normal and this is one big gigantic step in the right direction yeah absolutely i mean i think of all the season ticket holders or just casual fans yes. like myself i mean Ever since the Pepsi Center opened, I'm going to go back to calling it the Pepsi Center for a second, I feel like I was there two, three, four times a month, even before I joined as a media member, right? As a fan, yeah. I'd be at Nuggets games, I'd be at Avs games, and I know I'm not the only one. So this was a big void in people's life. I mean, yeah. to spend 385 days not going to a place you were used to going to every, you know, at least once a week, every couple weeks here and there, you know, Pe Pepsi Center slash Ball Arena is such a big part of my life. It's like a second home. And, you know, for all the other Avs fans that feel that way, I'm just excited for them to kind of have that release and that relief of, wow, I'm back. It's so nice. And I'm going to say this this year because this wasn't really something I did a lot of last year. And let's be frank, it's not going to be something I do Wednesday or Friday either because we're still kind of living in a pandemic. But sooner or later, once we're a little bit healthier and a little bit more comfortable, I want to meet the listeners. If you are an Avalanche season ticket holder, if you go to these games, when, is a, when it is a little bit easier for media to, es to escape the, the, the pre press box and actually go down the elevator and go down to the mezzanine level and see the fans... Let me know where you are. I would like to meet you guys. I would like to shake your hands. I am so excited. That's assuming people want to meet your goofy ass. That, that's Yeah, that's assuming. I mean, I'm not asking them to come, you know, ask me for an autograph. I want to ask you for an autograph, <laughs> listeners. Like, this is this is going to be so great. I'm like, and, and I have to make this clear. I made it very clear this last uh, couple of days. I am very fortunate and very thankful to have covered these games in empty arenas during a pandemic. But I cannot stress enough how much I want that to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's I not, don't want to have to do that again. Of course, it's going to be nice having 4,050 fans back. It's still not going to be the same thing, though, as a full arena, right? But I still oh, no, think sure. the energy is going to be noticeable. The non-fake crowd noise is going to be noticeable. Um, I've got my buddy, you know, Jesse Trujillo over at Altitude Radio Network. He works the radio side of things for both Nuggets and Avalanche. So he's right now, as we're recording this podcast, he's there working a Nuggets game. And I wanted to yeah. ask him, because they have fans there tonight for the Nuggets, Correct. how the atmosphere is. Is it noticeable? And, you know, just what changes are you seeing? And he's like, yes, it's very noticeable. The fake crowd was good, but having natural emotion is so much better. 
And of it course, is. the the in between the commercial break stuff is back too to kind of make it feel like a little bit more normal of a game yeah. too. So even though there's not going to be too big of a crowd, I feel like it's going to start to feel a little bit better for the players from their standpoint because you know they're kind of over uh, the way things have been going. And they've been over it for a while. And ever since that series in Arizona, late February, it was when I was in Detroit where the Avalanche went to Arizona the last couple days of February. They had fans over there. And, and and I shit you not, it was more Avalanche fans than it was Coyotes fans at those games. And Landeskog talked about it and Ranton and McKinnon just talked about it when somebody asked him today, hey, how does it feel to have fans back in the crowd and are you excited? Is it going to be weird? That's the, that's the question that Dater asked today. Is it going to feel weird? And he said, hell no, of course not. No way. Like, we're excited to have it. We had fans a month ago in Arizona and he straight up said it like that. Like, we've been waiting for this. He said, we're one of the last teams and it's about time. Granted, one of the last teams in the U.S. Canada's not allowing fans yet. But they've been itching for this. They're excited for it. They're bummed that it took until the end of March and it wasn't early March because, you know, after, after you know, actually, no, starting right now, there's only eight more home games in the regular season and three of them are coming up between today and Saturday, which means once we get to this Sunday, there's only going to be five more home games left to the regular season, which is crazy. They're already at 20 if you think about it. That just blew my mind. Yeah, that's because they played, dude, tomorrow's going to be game number 17 in the month of March, game 13 at, at Ball Arena. Wow. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Kind of nuts. Um, along with that, though, let's get a little bit into McKinnon's comments today during his, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of an off day. It was a practice day, uh, but they had Nathan McKinnon speak, which is kind of a rarity now that they yeah. get to pick with the Zoom things. And it kind of seemed like he's sensing some COVID fatigue, not only with playing this in front of it no crowd but also just playing the same teams over and over yeah nathan was asked today about if he uh he was asked today if he if he likes the series part of the schedule so that means you know going out to vegas and playing the golden knights twice the ducks coming here playing them twice granted obviously yesterday was a one gamer was a makeup uh, they asked him what he thinks about that. And I think he took the question the wrong way because he's like, I'm sick of playing the same teams over and over again. I'm sick of seeing the same teams. I'm sick of the lack of travel. I'm sick of A, B, C, and D. I just want my regular schedule back. I'm excited to go back to the regular schedule. What I don't think McKinnon realizes is the NHL likely is going to heavy, heavily consider having those series back. So yes, the Avalanche will go back to playing all 30 teams. But when they go to Vancouver, they're going to play them one, two games rather than playing them once in October and flying back in December for some reason. It's going to save them a lot of air miles. It'll keep them off the airplane as much, but you'll still get to see all 30 teams and it'll still be the same setup. What is it? Five or six games against your division, three or four against the other teams in the West, and then twice against the teams in the other in the other conference. So that will likely still happen. It'll just be a bit different, but the COVID fatigue is real, man. And that's what it is. Right now, McKinnon is not interested in answering questions about what do you like from this season that you want to take to next season, which is ultimately what he was asked about the series. They don't want to talk about what they like from this, like the bubble. We just want it to be over. I'm sure if he could redo the question and kind of listen to the, the actual question that was asked, I'm sure he would say, yeah, I do like the two se two game series because it's a much needed break for players right like you're saying it's a lot less exhausting just getting to go crash at a hotel room rather than fly all the way home but it just felt like he had something he wanted to get off his chest there right I mean sometimes that happens somebody asks you a question about a but b has been bothering you so much that you focus on b so I just feel like 
This yeah. is something that's been getting to him. It's and you know we saw Emily Kaplan. I don't know if you got the chance to see it, but she wrote an article about an anonymous player and how he's suddenly experiencing a, a, a heightened volume of mental health issues and anxiety, and uh, you know he's in, almost doubled his use of CBD um, that he uses for his anxiety. So obviously Nathan McKinnon is not the only one. The players are just no, going through a lot not, this yeah. year. They're going through a lot. Yeah, and it, it, this is a lot of people, and they're just they're ready for it to be over. But you know, similar to what I just said about being thankful to cover the games, they're thankful they're playing, but they also know that they want that to be a once in a lifetime experience. Everything they're going through this year, they are very happy and fortunate to be able to do it and get paid to do it. But they don't want to have to do it again. They want this to be a once in a lifetime experience, and understandably so. Uh, we're we're getting there, man. And and the coolest thing is, my favorite part is, you know, whatever people's opinions are about vaccines and COVID, I don't care. We're not even going to get into that. But the reality is the state of Colorado starting Friday, and I have my appointment for Thursday for my first shot, but starting Friday, they're going to be allowing vaccines for anybody ages 16 and older. This state is going to reach whatever the number is for herd immunity, 70% vaccinations or whatever, pretty damn quick if this rollout continues to be as smooth as it has been, especially with how many people starting Friday, it's going to be an overwhelming amount of people uh, trying to get appointments. The reality is, whether you care about that or not, that is what's going to lead to more than 4,000 fans at Ball Arena. That is what Jared Bednar said today when he said, when we asked him, what do you think about the fans returning? He said, it's great. I hope in the near future, and I hope very soon we can get back to full capacity if it's possible. The NFL already said that, I mean, it's Roger Goodell and he doesn't give a crap and doesn't give a rat's ass about anything but money signs, but he's already said in the fall, uh, we're expecting to have our stadiums at full capacity. So we shall see. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. It likely won't happen in Canada for sure, but the Avalanche are in the U.S. And as much as I love Canada, I live here right now. And if the reality is Ball Arena can have more than 4,000 and up to 18,000 fans in the near future, let's do it. But let's do it obviously safely and let's get there as soon as we can. Yeah, that being said, and obviously everything is progressing and moving forward. Yep. Is there any chance, do you think there's any way that there's a step back taken and suddenly some fans start to get taken out of the building little by little, if not entirely? I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is because other teams have been allowing fans as early as what? Early February? Late January? I think some even started the season with it. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember which teams exactly, but Dallas, there were Florida. Dallas was one, yep, Florida was another one. Um but the reality is that was two and a half months ago and two and a half months ago people were not getting vaccinated like they are now. So if that was fine and that didn't lead to any shutdowns, I mean, obviously, you know, things can change on a dime, but if that was fine and things didn't lead to shutdowns, I'm assuming it's not going to lead to a shutdown now, hopefully, knock on wood. And then uh, just to kind of wrap up the abs back in the building combo here, what are you looking forward to the most that a crowd brings to a game? I mean, what what did you miss and what, in your mind, are you most excited to, to see, hear, feel from the crowd? The instant reaction of a goal. Simple as that. A natural because one, right? Yeah. A natural one. Because right now what happens is, and, and a good example is JT Comfort's goal yesterday. Did you watch the game yesterday? Yes. Did you see the JT Comfort goal? Yeah. What a beauty. Do you, rem do you remember that shift? Well, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, the shift doesn't really ring a bell, but the goal, he took a little page out of Miko Rantanen's book. So, 
so what happened with the shift, Comfort, Comfort had a chance, saved, another shot, saved, saves. It was like six, seven, mm. eight shots maybe mm -hmm. or some crazy number like that. I could be over-exaggerating. And it was save, save, save. And then Comfort scored. And you can hear the audible of all the players shouting, yeah, because they were so <laughs> excited that they finally beat the corpse of Ryan Miller after six or seven shots. But the funny thing is the goal horn is never as immediate anymore. Because what used to happen is there was this transition of like the puck goes in, the crowd jumps, and then the goal horn just transitions into that. And now it's kind of like the puck goes in and I have to look and be like, like it takes a second for my brain to process like that was a goal. And then I see Comfort's hands go up and then one Mississippi, two Mississippi, boom, you hear the fake crowd noise. You hear the you hear the goal horn and all that. It's not natural. I'm excited for the natural jump of the puck goes in and the instant cheer. And in 4,000 people, you better damn believe. So 22% capacity, you better believe every person in there is going to be the equivalent of four and a half people with how loud they're going to be to make it sound like 100% capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with that. I mean, just the non-delay, right? Even when they are close to hitting the net or it's a close goal and you have the oh from the crowd it's just so yeah. unnatural with the fake crowd noise but you know one thing I really miss from crowds sitting up in the press box right you got kind of the drunkards around you and the people who <laughs> sit up in the nosebleeds and every once in a while you just hear one of them say something hilarious right and that, yeah. that's kind of what I miss is just having yeah. that energy that vibe especially on a Friday night you know you got people a little extra liquored up and it's just such a good energy around the building and that's what's lacked and I think that's what the players miss most right is that extra little spark to to when the game's tied zero zero at the end of the towards the end of the second period maybe there's a, a little something that pushes them toward over the edge so that's what i really miss yeah and and, and we're not going to get this this year obviously because he's not here anymore but nothing was better where every time a fan is making an ass of himself or even it's to a point where he's doing something stupid or she's doing something stupid and a security guard or an usher is involved you see ryan clark hovered over the thing with his phone recording it like this with this big smile on his face with like right up in the people's grill so that he could post it on twitter later with a smirk on his face it used to be the funniest thing but we're we're it's it's gonna feel more natural and that's that's the part i'm excited for the most just the entire experience is gonna feel more natural god bless the ice crew the guys and the girls that shovel the snow every single time the crowd noise kind of goes out of whack which it does sometimes it buffers it legs it cuts off you look down in that corner of the rink where they're sitting by the zamboni doors and you just hear you know these 17 kids just trying to cheer as loud as they can to make up for the fact that this thing is not working it's 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 funny but it's it's the world we've lived in the last little while yep i'm fired up uh you know i'm sure all the fans are fired up those who get to go so why don't we talk about the team a little bit we got 15 minutes in on the on the abs coming back to the building or abs fans let's get into the abs i mean this team is just looking so strong right now they look like the team we've expected, like the team we've wanted, like the team, I mean, they they are, even in the games they're losing, they're still walking away with a point lately. So this is exactly what I expected in the first half of the season. We talked about it a little bit in the podcast, so I don't want to get into just pumping their tires. Oh yeah, they look great. They look like the team we were expecting. Let's dive a little deeper and what's looking great from this team. I mean, what specifically, right? They're relentless. When they have the puck, they're relentless. They're relentless on the forecheck. When they lose the puck, when they don't have the puck, they're relentless on the back check. They're relentless on getting the puck. As soon as they get the puck, it's up right away. It's north-south hockey. Dude, this is the best any team 
I've watched a lot of teams, and I watched the Red Wings in their prime, and the Red Wings were damn good because Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg were magicians. This is the most dominant form of hockey I have watched in a very long time, if not ever. Well, and they figured out how to create dangerous chances, and I think you can really— Off of anything. I know, and I, I know we've been talking a lot about lit, litmus tests lately, but you take that Anaheim game versus the last time they played Anaheim, and I think right there is night and day, right? Ryan Miller was able to shut them da- shut the Avs down by himself. Well, last night, he wasn't able to do that. He had an, a phenomenal game, don't get me wrong. He held the Avs back, and without him in there, it could have easily been 16-0. But I just think there's such a difference in the way, like you said, they were so pumped to finally beat Ryan Miller on that six, seven shot series that, you know, they're figuring that kind of stuff out. They're not letting a Ryan Miller pad stack on them and make these ridiculous saves. Yeah. And the last time they played the Ducks, it was kind of the turning point of the season. It was when, uh, or maybe it was a couple games before that, but that was the game where Hunter Miska let in those four goals in the first and the Avalanche said, all right, we're just going to score six in the last 40 <laughs> yeah. minutes and put up eight on you. But they did lose to the Ducks before that. I mean, right now, nobody can beat the Avalanche but Troy Terry. <laughs> and that, that's yeah. and and I mean it's 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 great for the kid because he went to DU and everything, but I, uh, I mean jokes aside, like they, the form of the form of hockey that they're playing right now is is astonishing. Like it's so good. It's to the point where this is something that the Avalanche have lacked for for two decades. It's when your team is so good and your structure is so good to an extent, and this is kind of hyperbole. So to an extent, but. Pretty much anybody you insert into that lineup does the job and gets it done. Dan Renouf is has been a breath of fresh air. And that doesn't even include the fact that Jacob McDonald has killed it. Jacob McDonald has done so well, and uh, the Avalanche have done so well to help this kid and make him who he is that he kind of reminds me of Nick Holden. Patrick Waugh gave him an opportunity, and now he's still in the NHL and still kicking it with Vegas right now, making money. That's kind of what I feel like is going to happen to Jacob McDonald. So as far as I'm concerned, this team is, I mean, they're better than that good team that I thought they were going to be because the good team I thought they were going to be was the team from last year. They look better than last year. They're just so dominant in so many different ways. It's, it's, it's honestly crazy to watch. One thing I find peculiar, and you saw this in the uh, first game against Vegas in that five to one victory is a lot of times when they get goals they get them in bunches right their goals come in waves it's like you see them playing a pretty good back and forth game through the first period and then the second period starts and three minutes in the second period suddenly it's just goal 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 and then intermission hits and then the third period's kind of a little bit stale it's just it's crazy to me how they kind of just find a time to turn it on and then they they turn it on to the maximum right it's not so much not so much that they're doing it on purpose but just it's just a, a peculiar fact to me, I guess. A peculiar observation. It, it almost feels like it almost feels it almost feels like they're saying we don't need to play a full sixty minutes and burn ourselves out. Let's play seven minutes, score four goals, and then mail it in for the last fifty six or fifty three minutes and just choke the life out of you. Like it's it's really interesting and fascinating. The funny thing is about yesterday's game being Monday, the one against the Coyotes. They. Uh, it was the Coyotes. No, it was the Ducks. Sorry, Coyotes is tomorrow. The game against the Ducks on Monday, they had a decent start to the first period. Nothing too crazy, obviously. They couldn't capitalize on that power play. Max Comtois came out, set up Danton Heinen, a couple of DU guys. Uh, sorry, uh, a DU kid, and he scored. 
And it was 1-1 going to the second. The Avalanche had a strong second, kind of mailed it in to start the third. Anaheim scored once, and then Colorado said, never mind, we're going to put a few more goals on you. We're going to dominate the last five minutes. So, like, they find these bits and pieces of the game where it's like, you know they're going to win. It's just a matter of by how much. Because are they going to put in – are they going to turn it on enough? And I mean this sounds very arrogant for guys that cover the Avalanche. But like are they going to turn it up enough just to win by one or two goals? Or are they going to win another 5-1 game like they've done seemingly all of March? Yeah. A lot of times they dominate, but sometimes they fail to beat the goalie and they make other goalies look way better than they need to be. I mean, that was not so much a problem lately, but a problem earlier in the season, I would say. But, you know, now that they kind of still just keep their foot on the gas, they're able to eventually crack that code and break down goalies like Ryan Miller because the rest of the team can't keep up with the the five on the ice for the Avs. So it's really up to the goalie. So they just kind of got to tweak... I don't even want to say they got to tweak anything right now because what's looking is what they're doing is looking really good. But there's just some factor of the the goaltending that they still need to be able to crack because Ryan Miller shouldn't be putting up damn near 40 saves on him. Well, here's the reality. It's going to kind of be like the Semyon Varlamov factor when he was with the Avalanche. When Varley would face 20, 25, 30 shots, and this is what Grubauer is doing differently and why I feel like Grubauer has been very effective. And I'm not, I mean, I can't say he would be better than Varley because Varley's doing the exact same thing with the Islanders because they play a defensive game. But compared to Varley with the Avalanche, when Varley was here, when he would face 20 to 25 shots, the Avalanche would lose 4 to 2. But when he'd face 40, 45, 50, no matter how good the Blackhawks are, yeah, they'll score three goals on 45 shots. But they're not going to score 7-8-9. Varley gets in a groove. So that's what the Avalanche are doing. They're letting these other goalies get in rhythms. But when you put up 55 shots on, who was it, where was it Arizona, where they outshot them 55-15, to and they scored five goals, yeah, that's still a 900 save percentage. He still made a ton of good saves. I think it was Aiden Hill. I could be wrong. He still made a ton of good saves, but you're not going to score 10-11 goals. The Avalanche could put up 25 shots and score four goals, or they could put up 55 shots and score five goals. The reality is the more shots you take, the more likely it is that the other goalie is going to make those nice saves. You're not going to score eight, nine, ten goals every game. So it's kind of when it was those games earlier in the month where they were struggling to score more than two goals a game and the other goalies were stealing the games. Yeah, that was an issue. But now if you're putting up 48 shots and scoring four or five, the reality is, of those remaining 42, 43 shots, the goalie is likely going to make four, five, six, seven of those beautiful saves. But that's just because you're you're letting him get into a rhythm. That's how goalies are. It's how hockey works. Right. And that's kind of how it's felt lately from the Avs standpoint, right? It feels like their philosophy is just like, it's a numbers game. Yeah. If we just outshoot them 60 to 20, we're going to win. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to outscore, outshoot them 60 to 20, you're going to score five goals and he's going to make five nice saves. If you're going to outshoot him 30 to 20, you're going to score three goals. He's going to score three. He's going to make three nice saves. That's kind of the way they're playing it. And that's what it seems like. They're just like, let's put as many opportunities as possible. Likelihood of them going in is going to be pretty high. The more you do it, like you said, it's a numbers game. The more that go in. Yeah. So good time to transition to the goaltending back in the avalanche right now like you said he just got 15 shots last night against the anaheim ducks so he's not too tired but what he's been doing is just doing his it's job working. it's working and he's doing his job and and you love to see the rest considering the position the abs are in right now right but i mean i know we've talked a lot about philip grubauer throughout the season but you can't can't give him give him enough kudos right now for what he's doing because mvp he's the mvp of this season Yes, he's he's the rock that is holding this team together, literally. 
um, I asked him the other day, he mentioned that he was really happy with the schedule right now and the compact schedule because he's getting into a rhythm and he's, he's focused. And I asked him today, I said, hey, to expand on that, did you ever think that you would play 14? And he's probably going to play tomorrow because Johansson will likely play one of the back-to-backs against St. Louis. Did you ever think that you would play 14, maybe even 15 games in one calendar month? He said, no. But he said, just like I said the other day, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fine. I'm in the groove. I'm in the rhythm. I'm not tired. I'm not fatigued. And obviously it helps that he's facing 15 to 25 shots per game. But he's doing the right things and he's making the saves. I think Bedner is very much comfortable with riding him, except for back-to-backs, which we haven't seen Grubauer play today, back-to-back nights. But every other night, by all means, play six games in 12 nights. Just don't do a back-to-back. I also think there's something to be said for having that extra taxi squad goalie around all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, you see at morning skates and, and practices – You've got an extra guy in there to take shots, so you got Grubauer taking a knee a lot of times on center ice or leaving the ice early because he doesn't have to be there to help his team work on their shots. He's gotten his work in, and he's just getting that much extra rest. So this this year, you know, if nothing else, has been good on resting Philip Grubauer. If there's one positive we could take out of this craziness, is Philip Grubauer is getting the rest he needs. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because like now when morning skate starts, it's like. 10.30, morning skate starts. 10.31, Philip Grubauer, first goalie off the ice, <laughs> your starter. Like, it's it's instant. Like you said, it's because Adam Werner is there, and before that, Hunter Misko was there. You know, sometimes Peyton Jones, to take those extra shots, it gives you two goalies to use without having to overdo it with Grubauer. He doesn't need to face that many shots anymore. He's in the groove, and he's going. Right, and so, some people love the idea of morning skate, right? Like I, When I watched Vegas' morning skate the other day, it really seemed like Marc-Andre Fleury loved being there. He needed that morning skate to get into his morning rhythm and face some shots, you know, go 100% real quick, work up a sweat. Some people don't need that, you know, and I, I feel if Grubauer strikes me as that kind of guy. He's like, you know what, I'll come out, take a couple shots, get, you know, feel a couple in the chest, some hard ones, catch a, a hard one in the glove, catch a hard one in the blocker, and I'm off. And, you know, everybody's different, so... I guess that's just something to take into consideration moving forward, right? I mean, if this is what works for him a lot better, then, then yeah, why not? Who are we to say otherwise? Exactly. Yeah. Why not it's, keep, keep If it works stuff. for him, it works. Yeah. If it works for him, it works for him. And, and let's face it, the playoffs are going to be the same thing that they were last year. They are going to be a grind. And when the playoffs come, there will be back-to-backs. And you will need Grubauer to play back-to-back because you're not going to turn to your backup, especially when you have a goalie like Ruby playing the way he has. The two-goalie system is great, and some teams use it. But if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you're winning a cup, it's because Vasilevsky is winning 16 playoff games. Last year, 18 or whatever it was because of the the round robin. But that's what you're going to need from Grubauer. And if this is what works for him to get him prepared for that, then by all means, it's working. He's got 21 wins on the year. We're not even 30 games in for him. Yeah, and I'm sure there are there no, nothing's coming to my mind, but there's got to be other things that this COVID season has produced that – is probably going to stick around. I guess that two game series is one of them. Um, you know, there's got to be other ones. We got to try to point those out some more. Um, another thing that is making this team just look so strong right now is the simple play of Miko Rantanen. I mean, he's suddenly caught the attention of the national hockey media, and now the conversation around Miko Rantanen is the Rocket Richard Trophy. Now, what do you see that coming down to, and how do you like his odds to win that? Uh, just got to hope Ovechkin doesn't score 10 goals in 10 games like he, you know, randomly decides on a whim he's going to do. 
It's kind of like the Avalanche deciding, I want to put up 20 shots in five minutes. Obi's like, I'm going to score 20 goals this week. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm going to win this thing again. The cool thing about Rantanen, and, and as we know, Rantanen is a stud of a player. This isn't something new. Last year, he was a little bit off. And by a little bit off, I mean not a point-per-game player in the regular season. But he turned it on in the bubble in Edmonton. But in 2019, was it? Rantanen, yeah, 2019. Rantanen was leading the NHL at the halfway mark. At the All-Star break, he had like 40-something games and 60-something points. He ended up with only 87. There was some slow endings to his season. The year before that was 2018. That was the year him and McKinnon both broke out. So we've seen Rantanen score 30 goals. We've seen Rantanen put up points. What we have not seen is what Rantanen is doing right now, playing at a 48-goal pace in an 82-game season. Scoring 12 goals in the month of March, which is the most, one more than Ovechkin. Breaking avalanche records for most goals in a month pretty much seemingly scoring every single game it seems like so we've not seen this part of his game but hey this is the year where nathan mckinnon kind of has been a little bit snake bit and has has racked up the assists so who's going to score the goals it's been him it's been landis they've both got more goals than nate and miko's already at 20 he's only one of three players at 20 goals already on the season the other two are austin matthews and connor mcdavid that's pretty damn good company to be in a few weeks back when we were talking about how he was simplifying things, right? And he was just slapping at the puck and they were going in for him. Well, he's past that point. And now what yeah. you're seeing is a, a, an elevated hockey IQ out of him. I mean, I think there's a time and any hockey player can relate to this where you're playing often that, you know, you're, you're feeling your skills come a lot naturally to you. You're watching a lot of hockey. So, you know, you're just you're, your creativity has spiked. And I think that's what we're seeing with him. I mean, that first goal last night against Anaheim where he taps it around the defender, then comes and scoops it over Ryan Miller. I mean, that was finesse, but also high hockey IQ of knowing his surroundings and knowing what he had to do. Those goals that he put off Ryan Miller's back from behind the goal yeah. line. And he same said, I, thing did, there. I did it on purpose. Exactly. That's creativity. That's awareness. That's hockey IQ that just comes with him playing well, him playing well, him playing well, and getting to a groove that suddenly, naturally, the game just elevates itself. And I've been there before as a hockey player. Like, how am I playing this well? I have no idea, but it's just it's just coming to me. And it's not something you can control, but he's just on point right now, on point. A, a good player can score a beautiful goal. A great player can score a beautiful goal, an ugly goal, a goal behind the net, a goal in the crease, a goal from the circles, a goal from the blue line. That's what he's doing. The good player that I just listed, an example of that is Andre Burakovsky. He's a damn good player. But every time Burakovsky scores, it is a nice goal. It is a nice shot. It's not usually the in-the-crease Brandon Saad, Nazem Kadri type of goal. It's a nice goal. What Miko is doing this year, he's still scoring his nice goals, but he's scoring those gritty goals. He's working hard for them. He's doing them behind the net in the crease. He's He has that awareness, like you said, that high hockey IQ to just get the puck in the net by all means necessary. But he's also believing in his reactions, right? He's trusting his instincts, where I think with Andre Burakovsky, I think he's a little bit more of a mental case. You know, I heard just the other day Jared Bednar yelling at him that he was hesitating too much while they were working on PP2 because he's sp spinning his tires too much. He's spinning his wheels in his head, right? Where Miko Rantanen, he's trusting himself. He's trusting his uh, awareness and his hockey IQ that he's just going with instinct and it's 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 working for him because he knows what's going on he's just elevated his game and elevated the mental side of it for him lately and 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 that's why he has 12 goals in the month of march that's why he's got 20 on the season and that's why nathan mckinnon has as many assists as he has because now you have a case where nate is ditch, dishing them out miko's finishing the goals 
and that duo just makes it work one way or another. And as long as you have one of them scoring, it's great. Knowing that Miko has it in him to score at a 50-goal pace is great for the Avalanche because we've seen Nathan play at that kind of a pace before. He hasn't done it in one full season, but between the 2018 season, right after the Duchesne trade, until halfway through the 2019 season, there was a certain point where from game one that Duchesne was traded and Miko and Nate were put together to game 82, again, split between two seasons of regular season. But in those 82 games, McKinnon had 50 goals and I think it was 70, 72 assists. I remember tweeting this a couple of years back. So he has scored 50 goals in an 82 game block before. Miko's never done it. Knowing he can do it too, and knowing these two guys can be interchangeable, who the setup man is and who the scorer is, just gives this team that many more weapons. It makes it that much harder to play against, especially that top line. Landeskog is still doing his thing. He's still putting up, you know, a pace of 25 goals and 65, you know, points in an 82-game season like he always does just consistently. It makes it so much tougher to try to stop this team. Yeah, I just think the the understanding between those three guys at this point, right? Because they've played great. so many games together. I wish it's I year four. I wish I knew how many games they've played as a line together and how that compares versus other lines in Avalanche history and yeah. also other strong lines around the league. I mean, I know that Boston line has probably been together for about just as long, but you know, I feel like having what has it been pretty consistently the last three years together. I think that's done wonders for their game. Yeah, and, and, and Boston always has had lines like that. Like it was, I think it was Krejci, Horton, and uh, Lucic were a line for God knows how long. And then when, when Horton was replaced, he was replaced by Tyler Sagan for a little while. And then he was replaced by Louis Erickson. They've always had a connection there. They've always had those lines. And those are what the good teams do. They have the same three guys coming out every season doing their thing. For the longest time with the Avalanche, that wasn't a thing. If you think back to every Avalanche year over like the last 10 years, you think back to a specific threesome, that was the line. And it was never the same year over year. It was O'Reilly on the left wing with Duchesne and Jamie McGinn in the 2014 season. It was uh, Nathan McKinnon, I think, or Matt Duchesne, one of them, between Iginla and Tange one year. It was during the playoffs in 2014, it was Stasny between McKinnon and Landeskog. There was just these different lines every single year, but now they've got a team, like you said, where they have this line that they've brought out four years in a row, 2018, 2019, 2020. Now it's 2021. You better believe in 2022, they're still going to be together. And that's what makes them so strong. And that's what makes them so good is eventually you get to a point where a line gets figured out. They haven't been figured out yet. And when they do, it's for like three or four games, and then they come in and throw a curveball at you and have Miko now scoring 12 goals in a month and not Nate. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So I think that's a good wrap-up of all the things that are going great in the uh, Avs locker room right now. Let's look at the things that suck, and there's really only one that comes to mind, and that's the Bowen Byram injury, right? I mean, yeah. it's still off of the game one hit from Keegan Colasar. I guess what are your thoughts on the hit? Did you think it was a bit dirty? Because, you know, it really you really felt from Avalanche land that, that they all felt like Keegan Colasar maybe deserved some sort of punishment, but I'm not sure it was exactly um, – you know, a dirty, filthy hit at all. It felt like he jumped into it a little bit, but it didn't feel severe. Um, and 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 let's let's be let's be honest about this. The reason why people are considering this a dirty hit is because Adrian Data wrote a blog saying this is a dirty hit. He got the crowd riled up. 
I don't know. Like, it, it, it's a bad hit, yes. Uh, he jumped into it, but it wasn't by any means to the level that we're thinking. It wasn't the same level of Blickfeld's hit on McKinnon, which feels like a year ago was, you know, early March. I think it was March 1st, actually. Um, it wasn't that bad, but he did catch him up high. Uh, I would have been fine with a fine, uh, or I would have been fine with with exactly what we saw. Somebody just sticking up for their teammate, just doing it old old-time hockey style and the cool thing about Dan Renew fighting Colasar which was a pretty good fight I loved watching that fight but the good thing about the the cool thing about those two dropping the gloves is Dan Renew is a career AHLer he doesn't play in the NHL much he played two games in 2017 with by the way the Detroit Red Wings so before this year the only two games Renew had was in that 17 season with Detroit the only reason why Renew drew back into the lineup the other day was because Byram got hurt so in a weird, twisted way, Renouf is happy somebody got hurt because now that means he gets to play. As screwed up as that sounds, he gets to collect an NHL paycheck. But even though Byron being hurt is why he was in the lineup, he still stepped in and said, I'm going to stick up for Bo. And he fought Colasar and it was a hell of a fight. They both gave it their all in that scrap. But I don't think it was as dirty as, as we're making it sound like it was. It was a dirty hit, yes, but it wasn't, you know, alert the press Let's tweet at NHL player safety. Get your shit together. Like, I mean, those tweets are stupid anyway, but like, it's not to that level if you ask me. I think the thing that really stands out to me there is how Dan Renouf had to get that fight in the next game, right? Because he wasn't in the game uh, when the hit actually happened. He was in the game the next time. And what it tells me is there was nobody there that could have stood up for Bo Byram in game one, which is still a glaring issue to me. And I wish there was somebody a little bit tougher around. You know, Matt Calvert's been out. We'll get into that. Um, you know, there are some other guys floating around that the Avs might try to bring in. We'll get into that as well. But that's still a gaping hole there, right? There's You saw it with Ryan Reeves and John at Kadri. I mean, obviously he's Ryan Reeves, so there's not mu many people that are going to mess with him. But there's nobody to stand up for him. You saw it again with Delorier um, and Kadri, <laughs> coincidentally enough. Nobody there to back Kadri up except for Kadri. And, I mean, it, you kind of – I felt bad for Kadri because you know he's a well-liked guy around the locker room. It's not like anybody's seeing that happen just, oh, I'm not going to go stand up for my teammate here. It's just – there's just nobody that has that snarl. Nobody has that that grumpiness to him. And I know I'm sounding a little bit like Mark Kisla here, um, <laughs> but I just still think it's it's a hole that needs to be filled. So here is my problem with that with that conversation it's kind of been my problem all year it's so for starters ryan reeves players don't exist much in the nhl they just don't the other thing is we constantly talk about needing that guy needing that guy when we look back at who won the stanley cup last year what are the two names we bring up every single time who did they acquire at the deadline blake coleman and barkley barkley goudreau Okay. Blake Coleman is 5'11", 180 pounds. Barclay Goudreau is 6'2", 215 pounds. Those are not big guys. Those are Nazem Kadri, Gabe Landeskog, Matt Calvert, Brandon Saad, sized players. Hell, if Eric Johnson comes back, granted he does have a concussion history, and he's probably not going to come back, but if he comes back, a 6'6", strong guy like that, not many people have that. What the Avalanche do have is exactly what most teams have. Ryan Reeves aside, 
I mean, look at Tom Wilson. Look at Bar uh, Brad Marchand. These guys are not big. So this idea of we need this big physical force, no, you don't. You need players that play with snarl and aggression. And when you look at somebody like Nathan McKinnon, I'm not saying you want him to fight. I'm not saying you want him to drop the gloves. But he's not out there playing like, pick a guy, I don't know, Saku Koivu back in the day, Mitch Marner right now, somebody who can just get tossed around. He's more Blake Coleman than Blake Coleman is Blake Coleman. <laughs> so I never understand this idea of like they need bigger bodies. They don't need bigger bodies. They just need guys to step up for themselves. And right now, guys are doing that, and they will in the playoffs too. Gabe Landeskog is Gabe Landeskog. He's just not going to do it for 56 games in the regular season. Why would you do that? He's going to turn it on in the playoffs. Matt Calvert, you know, assuming he's in the lineup, will turn it on. Logan O'Connor's a little spark plug. Pierre-Edouard Belmar, as we saw yesterday against Ryan friggin' Getzlov, who is a monster, is not afraid to dish it out. Nazem Kadri, Brandon Saad, this is what made him so good with the Blackhawks for so many years. These are players that can play that role. I don't understand this thing where we have to go get some guy who's nine feet tall to wear skates and trip over himself. The team that won the Stanley Cup last year, did it by acquiring a guy that was 5'11 and another guy that was 6'2 that are no bigger than you and me to play the role that we're talking about, which is literally what Calvert, Kadri, Saad, Landeskog, McKinnon, Belmar, it's the same role these guys play. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying they need to bring in somebody with size and it's, they're desperate for it. What I'm more saying is they need to bring in somebody who's not going to give a shit, right? I, I, and I think where you saw Delorier just grab Nazem Kadri by the collar like he was a bad dog, right? And just kind of dragged him around the ice. And Kadri's just sitting there not really doing anything. A, he doesn't want a dumb penalty, right? And B, he doesn't want to get his ass kicked for no reason at the end of a, of a beat-down blowout win. So I just wish there was somebody in there with that Renouf attitude that had a little bit more strength to him a little bit more meatiness i guess if that was ryan getzlov that was drawing at nazem kadri instead of nicholas delorier do you think kadri would have dropped the gloves no i think he would have why you, because why the hell would he drop the gloves with nicholas delorier he's a 30 year old dude that plays five minutes a game i mean i just that's the right. reality. There is no reason to drop the gloves. It's not that Kadri is scared of Delorier. It's that Delorier doesn't give a shit because Delorier doesn't matter when he's not on the ice. This is the whole conversation we have about Nathan McKinnon and Eric Johnson fighting. Think back to the game against Arizona many moons ago when Sam Gerrard got cracked by uh, Zach Ronaldo and Eric Johnson jumped in. McKinnon fought Archibald. And it was like this whole big thing. There was two things centered around that conversation. It was number one, we don't want McKinnon to potentially get hurt. Number two, why the hell would you trade McKinnon off for Josh Archibald? So that's the reality. Belmar fighting Getzlov, you know very well. Belmar's like, hell yeah, I'll get off the ice for five minutes so I can get this guy off. Like that's, And obviously Belmar got the extra two. But... That's the that's the that's the that's the thing that I'm saying is that right now, Anaheim's not going to make the playoffs. They're not a good team. Nicholas Delorier is not a good player, and he only has a roster spot because he's on a team that's not good. They don't have a lot of depth. But when the Avalanche have depth and they're playing in the playoffs against another team that has depth, when somebody like I don't know picks somebody on Minnesota, Jordan Greenway, who plays a big role in Minnesota, when Jordan Greenway is going around trying to start something. You know what? Maybe you'll see Landis Gog drop the gloves with him. 
because it's not just some random dude who's not going to affect the game. So that's kind of the case, the, the thing that I'm getting at is right now, Kadri, yeah, you don't want Kadri to get suspended. You want Kadri to be in the game to play and to score goals like he did in the playoffs last year. But if needed, he will drop the gloves. Landeskog, he will. Calvert, he will if he's playing. O'Connor will. Belmar will. McKinnon will. On defense, the only two things that I will give you for this argument is two things. The defensemen don't have many of those guys. Taves, Makar, Byram, and Gerard. I don't see a lot of those guys doing it. Ryan Graves, yeah, he will. Whether he's good at it or not is a different conversation, but he will drop <laughs> the gloves. Uh, Jacob McDonald, sure. Connor Timmins, probably not. Eric Johnson, hell yeah. But the one thing that I will say is, other than the defense, their third line needs a bigger player. Tyson Jost is a hell of a player, and he's been playing great. Giannis Donskoy has been on fire, and Valerie Nichushkin is a beast. But that third line is missing a spark plug. Because the second line has Kadri and Saad. The first line has McKinnon and Landeskog. The fourth line has Belmar, O'Connor, Comfer, uh, Calvert, insert name. The third line doesn't have that guy that could stand up for them, and that's where it's missing. In a hypothetical world, alternate universe, would you take Ryan Reeves on this team? I mean, saying yes is the easy answer, but who do you take out? I mean, you could take out any, you know, Bellomare, for example. I think there's a... But there's, they, they don't play the same role. Yeah, sure, but I just think it's an easy yes. It's not something... You, I think you definitely, if he was handed to you for free, you'd be stoked about it. it. You know, it would be easy to do that because you can just slot O'Connor or Comfort into the center position because all three of them play that position. And I yeah sure yeah that's an easy yeah that's an easy call sure and then but, suddenly you have your players playing with more confidence knowing that there's somebody back there who will get who will but let me ask you this sure let me ask let me ask you this the top line being what the top line is Burakovsky Kadri and and, and Saad being what they are Donskoy Jost and Nichushkin being what they are Reeves not killing penalties like Belmar does how much time on ice is he gonna get on the Avs that's the question. Because that's what people don't realize. It's the Kyle Clifford conversation again. You could have signed Kyle Clifford. Great. How much time is he going to play? And how many times is Kyle Clifford going to get healthy scratched so that you can play a more skilled player like O'Connor who can actually give in some offense too? Sure, sure. So that's kind of, that's kind of the, the like it's it's a line to draw. When you draft a player like Tom Wilson, when you draft a player like Brad Marchand, for the Avalanche's case, Gabe Landeskog, you struck gold because you have somebody that can play 15 to 22 minutes a game and provide that spark. When you bring in a Blake Coleman, when you have Yanni Gord, Barclay Goudreau, and especially when you have all three of them on a line together, all three of them can score. All three of them can kill penalties. You can use them on the power play if necessary. They will provide offense, but they will also be your spark plugs. What the Avalanche need is to just acquire another spark plug. There's a couple of them out there. Maybe they go for them. Maybe they don't, but that's where they're at. I'd rather have somebody who strikes fear in the hearts of the opponents more so than just somebody who could stick up for themselves, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to have Scott Parker, too. It's, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun to see people shit their pants when he drops his gloves. Man, Michigan is down by nine. God damn it. Well, that's a good place for us to uh, take a break and remind you about our buddies over at DraftKings. 68 teams started the tournament. Only the best have survived. Here, I'm supposed to reference on, a compelling storyline from the tur tournament, but I haven't watched a single second of it because I'm a hockey guy. 
Michigan is down by nine to UCLA with 17 minutes to go in the second half. Come on. Come on, Michigan. amateur sports. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's <laughs> top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you, like me. DraftKings Sportsbook offers daily odds boosts on pro basketball, hockey, golf, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And that's true. They always have awesome odds boosts. Always Ryan Bolding of the Hockey Show, he loves to take that Connor McDavid will score and the Oilers win. Well, the Oilers don't usually win or Connor McDavid doesn't usually score on the same night, so he's usually left lost. But it's a great, fun prop bet to kind of throw in, you know, five, ten bucks. doesn't have to be crazy. But download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. Come on, That's Michigan. code MHS to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. I haven't done this in a while, but here we go. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Well, that was supposed to be in the middle of our podcast but i guess the uh first quote-unquote half really ran long so i guess we'll try to speed up the rest of this podcast and you know try to keep it right around the same time we always do but that michigan's now down by five points with 16 minutes left you know what i got i got the setup right here so i got here's my macbook right in front of me i got your face covering up the first half and then on the second half on the top i have my garage band open looking at my waves as i record and then the bottom half i have the michigan game right there and I'm just watching all of you at once. I've got my iPad right next to the camera or right next to the computer where I watch NHL Network. So that's just who I am. I'm sorry. I, I'm just not a college basketball guy. Sorry, DraftKings. I sure am a DraftKings guy. I love DraftKings, and I'm on it all the time. Losing my money. I gave you so much money last month, DraftKings. You owe me. Um, but let's move <laughs> that's on. That's why we're here. Speaking of which, by the way, because you because uh, I just saw the Blackhawks on your screen, so the Blackhawks beat the Hurricanes in regulation. The Blue Jackets beat the Lightning in regulation. The Rangers beat the Capitals in regulation. Not that the President's Trophy matters, but those are three of the teams that the Avalanche are fighting with. So it's it's great to pretty much see that first place through eighth place right now in the NHL is separated by two points, 50 to 48. And all the teams in there have played between 33 and 36 games. So the Avalanche are right in there. Washington, Carolina, and uh, who was the third team? Tampa Bay, all losing in regulation. Those are three of the teams above the Avalanche in the standings right now out of the five. The other one being Florida. They kind of took a shit on Detroit, so they won. But just a cool thing to look at. I like to see where the Avalanche always are in the in the uh, President's Trophy race every once in a while. Yeah, a lot of people say in Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, Colorado, it's one of those three teams. But you can't ignore the fact that Florida is tied in points right now with Tampa Bay. And you can't ignore the fact that Carolina looks good and they have a goalie named Alex Nedeljkovic who who looks like the real deal, who looks like they finally have somebody to help Morazic and Reimer who have both been playing well. I mean, Carolina is an actual threat this year. Hmm. I'm so excited to see who's going to make it out of the teams. Wait, did I just hear you right there, Arif? Did I hear you say that Carolina has three capable goalies? Seems like they only need two, right? Uh-huh. Maybe there's... Well, a- Murat. 
Uh, yeah, I, yeah. You know what? I haven't thought about that, but Peter Morazic has hasn't played much this year. I don't know if he's back from his injury yet, but he's also he's got like a point nine nine save percentage in like the three games he has played. He's been great. But yeah, that's an option. James Reimer, the is other option. James Reimer is another option. Morazic is obviously a former Red Wing. And speaking of the Red Wings, Bernier, as we know, will likely be back before the April twelve deadline. That's still a guy to look at. There's options out there, and and the, and I. I'd, I'd be damned if I said Joe Sackick wasn't going to make another trade for another goalie. He knows it's important. Now, I heard this one today on NHL Network Radio. Tell me what you think about it, especially with what we've seen him do against the Avalanche recently, and that is the corpse of Ryan Miller. I hate it. Honestly, I hate, I hate it. I. It, yeah. You can't deny so what he's need, done, though. You can't deny it. If you need a number two goalie... It's it's hard to it's yeah you can't deny what he's done it's it's hard to really like put it this way if if you have Bernier or Morazic or Reimer and Grubauer goes down you can still confidently say the Avalanche can win the cup you can't say that with Ryan Miller yeah I don't think so I agree so that's kind of how I feel like if you're picking up Ryan Miller to be a you know better than Jonas Johansson yeah he'll be better than Jonas Johansson but if god forbid the worst happens like it has been the last few years and Ruby goes down and Francis is down Reimer can win you a cup Bernier can win you a cup Mrazek can win you a cup this person this ver- version I should say of Ryan Miller 41 years old or whatever he is now 40 39 I don't think you can say that so I don't hate it but I don't love it I don't know. I kind it's of a see... la- it's a lateral move. It's the Johansson trade. It's a better version of the Johansson trade. Ultimately, I can kind of hear it now. And after twenty two years, Ryan Miller. No, that's next year. ESPN doesn't have the NHL oh, just oh, yet. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> and damn, has Ryan Miller been around? No, for he probably has been. I don't but know. no, I, I get. I know. I know what you're referencing. I'm sorry. I don't mean to crap on your parade, but I don't. You I don't do. love it. Yeah, it's what I do. I don't love it and I don't hate it. It's 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 an interesting one. Another name tossed around again, and you and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, months ago even, and interesting to hear it resurface is Sam Bennett from Calgary. What do you think of that one? So that's intriguing because that's that's the spark plug kind of player that could help this team and have that extra depth. Mm-hmm. Think back to, it's been what, 11 years now. Think back to when the Avalanche made the Cup in 2010. There was one player on the Avalanche that kind of had a coming out party in the playoffs. You know, Chris Stewart had a coming out season that year and Paul Stasny and Wojtek Vol well actually Volsky was traded from Mueller by then. But all these guys had, you know, these coming out parties. But TJ Galliardi pissed the Sharks off for six games. And I very much remember the national broadcast saying, Don't sleep on these Avalanche. They are much better than we expected. Granted, they ended up sucking. The next year they were last. They got landed. So that was a whole thing. It's been a decade. It's been it's been a while. But TJ Galliardi was that spark plug. Again, not the biggest guy. Six foot two, 190 pounds, pretty much my size. You know, and I'm not by any means a big, you know, grizzled old, you know, Ryan Reeves type of dude. Uh but he provided that kind of a spark plug. And if you remember Sam Bennett in that series, obviously Avalanche fans are going to hate it because Sam Bennett was annoying and just a pain in everybody's ass. But he did the job and he did it against the Avs for five games. I mean, the rest of his team didn't do a very good job. They lost in five games as the number one seed. But again, I don't hate it. It just depends what you're giving up and making sure you don't overpay for that. Just uh, as a fun fact, it's been 19 years Ryan Miller's been in the league. Holy crap. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's I'm with you. That's impressive. Any goalie that plays 19 years is impressive. Agreed. I'm, I can't believe he's still kind of, you know, I feel like at his point, especially with the team he's playing, I, I'm surprised he's still competing at the level he is because I feel like you'd be so burnt out after losing and losing and being on the Buffalo Sabres and the Vancouver it's, Canucks. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to think back. Thinking of 2010, the Olympics where he had the year that he had, he was on the same team as a Jamie captain. Lehmanberger. He was captained by, and you said it just as I was going to say, he was on the same team as a team captained by Jamie Langenbrunner. I, I tried to beat you to it because you said that uh, like two weeks ago. I don't know yeah, if you remember. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's some guy named Jamie. I remember that. Uh, Chris Dre was on that team. But that's the thing. Like He's been around for so long. The second thing is, and he was one of the guys that I mentioned when the Avalanche were in the search of a third-string goalie before Frankie went down, and I mentioned Ryan Miller. And Mike, understandably so, looked at me and said, this dude's not leaving California. It's it's cute if you think he's leaving. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a good point. And he re-signed in Anaheim. Yeah, he's not going to win a cup, but he's living in California, man. And there's another testament to how we need to see some more teams play the Avalanche because now we're just using the same anecdotes on our podcast. So <laughs> I'm excited to see some variety in the schedule. Uh, um, so am I. So is Nathan. <laughs> along with the Sam Bennett conversation, we recently heard, you know, just because of the, the spark plug that you're mentioning and Matt Calvert being out uh, again, it provides an opportunity for JT Confer and Logan O'Connor to kind of keep seeing ice time like we've wanted them to. Not necessarily what you want to see at the expense of Matt Calvert, but I think there is a positive to take out of that situation with JT and, and, and O'Connor. Oh, there's absolutely more positive than you think because I think the way that it came off from the way that Bednar said it, and this is an assumption on my end, but it's a reasonable assumption, is Calvert would still be playing right now if they needed him. But they don't need him, so why overplay him? Hmm. He hasn't been playing that well. He doesn't have any goals this year. He's kind of been snake bit. Poor guy, man. He came back from his concussion issues and all that. He's got that tinted visor, and he's just been snake bit this year after the year he had last year especially. But the way that it sounded like with Jared is he's not 100%, so we figured since we have somebody who can play, let's sit him, which says to me if the Avalanche didn't have the depth they have, which is O'Connor being forward number 13 knocking on the door saying hello let me in i'm a damn good player uh calvert would still be in the lineup but why would you do that to him there's no reason to and by the time the playoffs come around it's the same reason why jt comfort sat i mean comfort was hurt but then he got healthy but they still didn't put him back in the lineup if you remember he sat for an extra game because why would we rush you back into the lineup get some more practices in o'connor's doing just fine so that's the way that i see it is is Yes, he's sitting because he's hurt, but he also would be playing if he was playing better. Could that be also the case with Eric Johnson? No, I don't think so. So we asked Jared about Johnson and Frankie, and he said that he doesn't intend any of them coming back anytime soon. I, in my mind, neither of those guys are playing this year. In my mind, Eric Johnson is this year's version, if it gets to that point, of Peter Forsberg skating out on the ice to win the Stanley Cup in sweats, in, 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 in sweats and a jersey. Eric Johnson's going to be that guy because you know very well, and it'll be a damn cool moment if the Avalanche win the cup. The first person Landis Cog's handing the cup to is EJ, with or without equipment on. Yeah, well, obviously. Damn, I just saw that little shudder you gave, like, oh, the Avalanche winning the cup. No, it's, it's cra crazy. For me, it's more like I just hope. Because, you know, with Eric Johnson, it was his face getting slammed on the ice. And what I started yeah. just thinking in my head was a broken orbital bone and just how 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 painful that would be and how much it would suck to miss out on the yeah. NHL because of a a 
broken face. Ow. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm smiling right now because of, you know, two things. The thought of the avalanche, someone like Gabe Landeskog raising the cup and handing it to EJ. And Michigan's only down by one point now. So let's go. That ad read was a was a nice Who? breath of Michigan. Cares. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I wanted to get to, and then we'll get to our Mile High Sports three stars of the week. And that's, you know, the common feeling among Avalanche land, especially if you're on Twitter in the last week, two weeks, on the inconsistent refereeing in the Avalanche games. And it has been frustrating to a point, but, you know, it's, in my opinion, it's just hockey. That's the way hockey goes. It's subjective sometimes, and the refs have all the power, and it's still the same game we've, we fell in love with, and it's always been that way, and it's probably always going to be that way. Yeah, and, and and I don't take the same approach of it's just hockey. I wish things would change, but I do take the approach of it's not worth discussing every single day. I, I'm not the type of person that's going to tweet. And even when I was just like a crazy, rabid, psycho avalanche fan and not a member of the media, I was never the stupid refs, FU refs, at NHL, fix your refs, <laughs> at NHL player safety, fix your – at NHL referees, fix – at avalanche ice girls fix the rep like it was just you tweet at anybody and you're like fix the i'm not that kind of person because this is just you know it's not going to change anything um what i like to see the way that games are refed change a little bit yes uh is debating it really going to change anything no because we're going to debate the same things the same things that we talked about last time after the tim peel situation it's that some teams should be getting more power plays every single game but they're like in a game where you outshoot anaheim 48 to 15 Again, I'll say the same thing I said last week. When you're out shooting them, you know, three to one, there were 63 shots in the game and the Avalanche had more than three quarters of them. So more than 75% of the shots were for the Avs. You're likely going to draw 75% of the penalties because you have the puck that much more. But that's not always the case. There's makeup calls. You know, the refs kind of like to ref in a rhythm and the swing and try to get games to be kind of evened out. It's, it's a weird thing. I don't like it. But it is what it is. But when you're the avalanche, again, same exact thing as what I said with if you're going to put up 50 shots, you're likely going to see the other goalie make five or six golden saves that he wouldn't have made otherwise because of the numbers game. It's the same thing. If you're going to control the puck for as long as the avalanche do, you're going to get a lot of calls, but you're also going to likely see a lot of missed calls because that's just what happens when you have the puck for that long. Agreed. Yeah. When you're skating circles around teams like Anaheim Ducks yesterday, for example, I saw a, a particular shift where... All right, there was a hook, I think, on Nathan McKinnon that went uncalled. And then you saw another maybe questionable call. And then 10 seconds go by, and then an actual hand goes up, and there's a penalty, two minutes. But if the ref called every single penalty on Anaheim, they would have had four guys in the box just from one shift. So at some point, you kind of got to realize, all right, the Avalanche are dominating this team. They're killing them in shots. A penalty is not exactly going to help them out here. Let's just get this game over with and kind of hit the gong of the gong show and, and you know wrap things up here and not have to give Colorado more chances to run up the score here. Yeah, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. It's 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 always going to be ref that way. The refs are always going to have that subjective feel of trying to keep control, and I do that with air quotes, keep control of the game, which is weird. Do I like it? Yes and no. Do I hate it? mostly yes kind of no and it's just it's just the way that refs are that games are ref like you said it's been like this forever the only difference is in 2003 we didn't have twitter to complain about in 2021 we do and a podcast well i guess that's a good place to start wrapping up our podcast um right about 
the same spot we always do. So it's time to get to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings Draft Sportsbook. Sportsbook. Ah, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I don't know if you knew that part. Star number three. Now, this isn't necessarily going to a Colorado Avalanche, but it's well-deserved star number three. We're giving it to Aaron Ekblad for his season-ending injury that we saw. I mean, really kind of shook up the hockey world. I, th- I don't think anybody... Um, isn't uncomfortable when they see something like that, and it just sucks to see because it could happen to anybody at any time on the ice. I feel so bad for him, and it, it does kind of like it has that feeling of like, man, this really could happen to anybody at any time, and it kind of worries me about players like McKinnon. It's like this could literally end his season on any time on a, on a, a fluke of a play. But for but for I was going to say Keith Yandel, but for Aaron Ekblad, the Florida Panthers are finally good. We just said how they were one of the top five teams in the NHL, and Tampa Bay's number one, and Florida's number three, and those are two teams in Florida that are finally both good at the same time, and I I wish they play in the playoffs. But he's going to miss out on that. And he's got 11 goals and 11 assists in 35 games. The dude is on pace for a 25-goal, 25-assist season over 82 games, which obviously is not happening this year for anybody. But he's playing great. He looks like a Norris Trophy candidate. Obviously, this is going to put an end to that. I feel really bad for him because he's been on this team for so long and they finally have the team and the coach and Joel Quinville and the depth to make a run and he won't be there. But I will say it is interesting to note that people said he's out for the season and then NHL.com released an article saying he's out for 12 weeks. 12 weeks is three months. Three months is June 30th. So on the 25th year anniversary of the Avalanche smoking the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup final, when the Stanley Cup final in 2021, oh my God, if this is right, I am going to win a million dollars someday. When the Avalanche and the Florida Panthers are playing in the 2021 Stanley Cup final, which is going to go until mid-July, June 30 is in three months. You might suddenly see Aaron Ekblad join the Florida Panthers for a Stanley Cup final push, which would be really fascinating to see. Uh, and, and considering he's a hockey player and these guys are robotic, he'll probably be back in 10 weeks, not 12. But we'll see. But the reality is he's going to be out for a long time. If the Panthers can make a run, whether it's against the Avs or anybody, he might be back. And I wish they do make a run because he deserves it. They deserve it. Shout out to him. It's a shitty injury to see. Uh, it sucked to watch. It sucked to see. And, and it sucks that his season's over. And then Grubauer can be the one that says, no more fucking rats. Right? <laughs> Star number two. We're sticking right here within Colorado. And that's going to our boy, Hell of a guy, dude. 12 goals in the month of March. Are you kidding me? He's behind Matthews and McDavid in the North Division. Again, the North Division's got a lot of goals because defense is optional. And Miko Rantanen leads the rest of the league in goals. I really loved your point of he's not just scoring one type of goal. He's scoring all sorts of goals. He's scoring pretty goals. He's scoring ugly goals. He's scoring quote-unquote fluky goals you know so he's just he's just bringing a bunch of different cards to the table i can't get over again how quickly he said i did it on purpose when he was asked you've just scored your last two goals by banking it off of the goalies back behind the net he said yeah i did it on purpose well and while jt confer wasn't behind the net it was kind of the same principle right and you saw the avalanche kind of try to attack that it looks like they really found a weakness in ryan miller when he's sliding down in his butterfly you just bank it off of him and hope it goes in and it usually does so i think they they found something there but that brings us to star number one circling back to the beginning of the podcast we're giving this to the frontline workers just because we're so excited to see them at the game tomorrow they're kicking off the 
attendance again in the ball arena and you know obviously they've been the world's mvp in the last 12 13 months they have and i'm so excited to see them come back and uh i'm even more excited for the fact that it's been a really weird two and a half months for a lot of reasons and covering these games has been weird for a lot of reasons but the biggest reason why these games has been weird is because stan Kroenke was no longer paying for my dinner on game nights and now because of the work of the frontline workers for the last 13 months because they are returning to the rink tomorrow and the press and the media is getting kicked back up to the press box the avalanche announced today in an email to the media that they will once again be serving dinner thank you frontline workers i'm excited for dinner it's funny to me that's <laughs> such a big thing for you because in my seven years covering the team, I've never had one of those dinners. Really? I always thought I, that they weren't for me. So I'd go, that's I'd go to the game and I'd just mind oh, my business. Oh, no. me, my, Mike and I would always text and be like, you going to meet me there for dinner? Yeah, we're there 6.20 before, before the avalanche take the ice for warm-ups. We're eating salad bar. I mean, obviously, it's going to be different now. It's not going to be an open buffet, but salad bar, all sorts of different things, cookies, freshly baked cookies. Well, and that's the thing. Probably two years off of my life is because what I would do is after the first period I'd sneak down and go get some of the leftover cookies and brownies and so that's, that's the so only funny. thing I end up eating at the you're arena. You're like sitting there like stumbling your way through kind of like shh we gotta be very quiet and grab Man. those cookies and the guy's looking at you behind the kind of like this dumbass is wearing a tag doesn't realize he could have had quick, this all quick, along. Quick gummy bears gummy bears put them in the cup hurry before they catch us. Oh, boy. Uh, but yeah alright we're off the rails here officially but um, you know we're just excited that the Avs fans are going to be back in the building, and hopefully that just brings a whole new energy to the rest of the season because it obviously needs it with some players facing some COVID fatigue and we're only about halfway through. I mean, you've got to assume the Buffalo Sabres are beyond COVID fatigued right now. Yeah, a lot of teams... Oh, poor Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, a lot of teams are, but you know what? If, if it takes this weird COVID fatigue year as a year to break that Stanley Cup drought at 20 years... And that's what it's going to take. The Avalanche are going to welcome back fans. I'm super excited. And before we get there, let's hope Michigan finishes up this game. It's 40 to 38 <laughs> oh, with you. nine minutes left. All right. <laughs> and if they do, and I'm going to put this out on the podcast, and you're not cutting this part, if Michigan wins this game by the time you're done editing, this podcast is going to end with the fight song. Go blue. <laughs> All right. Thanks for ruining the end of our podcast. If, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you. Have fun at the at the game if you're going.